Welcome to the Making Kids Count podcast brought to you by Kentucky Youth Advocates, where we sit down with policymakers, community leaders, and youth to discuss ideas to make Kentucky the best place to be young. Now here's your host, Terry Brooks. This is Terry Brooks, and today we're joined by Kentucky Senator Morgan McGarvey. Morgan has been the state senator of the 19th District of Kentucky, which is in Jefferson County, since 2012, and currently serves as minority floor leader of the Kentucky Senate. I just need to do a caveat for the benefit of transparency and say to our listeners that there's no one who I respect more than Morgan. Uh, I really admire his heart for kids and his brain for political pragmatics. Uh, he genuinely is a, an advocate for kids. Uh, I think the great compliment to Morgan is at the last two uh, Children's Advocacy Days, uh, Senate President Stivers has literally hit the pause button, and when he talks about common ground for kids, he cites Morgan McGarvey and himself as folks who have honorable disagreements on lots of issues, but when it comes to kids, he counts on Morgan, and Morgan counts on him. So, Senator McGarvey, I'm especially pleased to welcome you to Making Kentucky Kids Count podcast. Well, thanks, Terry. I, I really appreciate that. That was a, a very kind introduction. I hope my mother listens to that's, it. That's, well, I, I read what you wrote as closely as I could. <laughs> uh, so, Morgan, you know, we always try to begin these on a little bit of a personal note, and, and I'm wondering if you could take our listeners through your journey. Uh, how did you get into this political arena? How did you get to where you are? What were the decisions? What were the, the key milestones thus far? Yeah, you know, and I think like any type of career path, it's not a ladder. It's sort of a winding road. Growing up, high school, that, that sort of thing, college, I really wasn't the person interested in politics. And I grew up in a household where we talked a lot about government, but my brother was the guy who was kind of interested in politics. I sort of did other things, sports, music, that kind of thing. Um, I was out in school at the University of Missouri where they've got a great journalism mm -hmm. school. And the reason they have such a good journalism school out there is they're the only university in the country that owns the NBC affiliate for Mid-Missouri. Hmm. The FCC wow. made it illegal for a university to own a network affiliate, but they grandfathered Missouri in. So KOMU, NBC8, it's the NBC affiliate for all of Mid-Missouri, has professional sales staff, professional anchors, professional producers. But then if you get into the broadcast journalism sequence at Mizzou, you become a reporter your junior year. So I got accepted into the journalism school after you do the weed out classes and that sort of thing uh -huh. as a junior. And my first semester junior year was the year 2000. Oh, wow. And of course, what an incredible political time to be in a state like Missouri, a swing Year of state. the hanging chads. The hanging chad. But you so you had, and Missouri played prominently into the national landscape that year. And people here probably don't remember, but there were two guys running against each other in one of the most pitched United State Senate battles in the entire country. A guy named Mel Carnahan, who sort of is a, the Carnahan family is a political dynasty in Missouri. He was the Democrat. He was the governor of Missouri at the time. And he's running against a guy named John Ashcroft, who was the incumbent United States senator. Well, several weeks before the election, Mel Carnahan was in a plane crash with his son mm -hmm. and died. And so just like Kentucky, Missouri is the state where they couldn't replace his name on the ballot. And so you had to vote for a, a, a dead guy or wow. John Ashcroft, wow. but the governor who was his lieutenant governor said, if you vote for Mel Carnahan, I'll appoint his wife to the United States Senate. 
So you had all this going on amid the 2000 election. And of course, I'm brand new at the journalism school where you can be a reporter and started covering some of this stuff. And that's what really got me interested and not just... It's like a human drama, right, not yeah, a political it, story. It, it was so incredible to to be, you know, Columbia, Missouri, where the University of Missouri is located, is about the same in proximity to Jefferson City, the capital of Missouri, as Lexington is to Frankfurt. It, it is the TV market for that area. And, of course, everything is going on. The national news crews are down there. You're watching this national drama unplay on a, unfold on the local stage. And just kind of got me interested in it. Came back to Kentucky after college, didn't go into journalism, started working on campaigns, then went to the Hill. Thought I was kind of finished, went to law school. Uh, kept getting the itch to come back to public service, and then came the time for me to run. And, you know, when I ran was in 2012, and I, I tell people all the time, that was the year that they they redistricted. The courts threw out the redistricting plans gave everybody three days to file under the original plans. My senator had said he wasn't going to run again, so I had three days to decide to run. Wow. And what I tell people all the time is if I'd had four, I might not have done it. <laughs> yeah. um, but it had such a short period of time to say, hey, I'm, I'm going to put my money where my mouth is and get into this, so I did it, and don't regret it for a second. It's been a fantastic seven years. I've learned so much about state government and about how it impacts people and what we can do to make people's lives better. Yeah. Great, great answer. Fascinating. Missouri has also continued the Claire McCaskill, and yeah. it seems like it's that sort of pivot state on so many uh, election cycles. Well, if, if anyone's listening to this who isn't a political junkie, I apologize. But, but, you know, <laughs> well, if you're, if you're listening, you're somewhat a political yeah, junkie. Right. So That seat that Mel Carnahan won in the year 2000, because the way they do federal elections, it was up again in 2002. Gene Carnahan, his wife, got beat. So the last last big story I did out there, I, I went to Washington, D.C. with another reporter from KOMU, and we, we followed Gene Carnahan, saying this is her journey now to this campaign. And then she lost to Jim Talent in 2002, and then Jim Talent lost in 2006 to Claire McCaskill. So you had three people. Well, you had Mel Carnahan, then Gene Carnahan get in the Senate, Jim Talent, and Claire McCaskill. So you had three people win, four people occupy that seat in six years. Well, 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 a lot of be drama. before we move from Jefferson City to Frankfurt, I, I've got one more question. Sure. I'm, I'm big on uh, the idea that biography uh, animates how anybody sees the world. So when you think about your current view of the world, how you do your business, which again, uh, we appreciate here at KYA so very much, uh, where do those influences come from? I've heard you speak with such compassion as to the impact your own kids have had, how you view the role of government. Uh, I'm sure there are other folks on a personal or professional basis that animate your thinking. Uh, take us inside uh, Morgan McGarvey's view of the world and, and what are the cornerstones, the linchpins to that? You know, I, I think that it's so important, um, not just in politics, but in life, uh, that we, we look out for those on the margins. And so whether it's in my personal life, my professional life, we really have to treat every human being with dignity and respect. And that's sort of the worldview I come to government with, is that every person matters, every voice matters. And what we have to try to do is do the best for the most number of people. It doesn't mean I have all the answers, uh, but it means you've got to go looking for them. You've got to listen to people and, and provide the government that we want to see for everyone, not just a government we want to see too often for the few. Well, as we sit here recording today, Nancy Pelosi has just dropped that uh, the impeachment is moving ahead. 
Uh, I, along with our listeners, read that uh, Governor Bevan uh, yesterday uh, once again was uh, talking about uh, harvesting votes, uh, expressing concerns about the coming administration. Uh, To say that at both a national and at a state level, atmosphere is toxic, bifurcated, and divisive uh, is maybe an understatement. So as we approach the 2020 session, first time that I think we have ever had a a Democratic governor and Republican supermajorities in both chambers, uh, I've heard folks express hopes and I've heard folks express fears. What's your view? What what should we anticipate? What's the most optimistic Morgan McGarvey view? What's the most pessimistic Morgan McGarvey view about this coming 2020 session? You asked about my worldview. I would say my worldview is optimistic, except when it comes to college sports. And I'm always, <laughs> I always think my guys are going to lose. But, you know, it's a... Uh, I'm optimistic. and I, That's Senator McGarvey predicting that Louisville will beat Kentucky in basketball, <laughs> just in case <laughs> listeners were wondering. Um I think that regardless of where you stand, the gov- Governor Bevin's relationship with the legislature, it's kind to call it strained. Uh, it was not a good relationship. Where I'm optimistic is I think we know we have an opportunity now to start fresh. And I think that Governor Bashir knows he has to work with the legislature. He has supermajority Republicans in each chamber of the legislature. The legislature appropriates the money. The legislature writes and passes the legislation that lands on the governor's desk. And so I think he and knows can that. Veto. And can veto. And can override vetoes, yeah. Yeah, I'd say the legislature you know, is right. powerful because of that simple majority override on the veto. And I think that, you know, all of us are citizen legislators. We are taking time to go up to Frankfurt most of us, to really try to make a difference, do the right thing, and come home. And I think you're going to see legislators on both sides of the aisle welcome that change, that ability to work together. This is not to say that it's, it's going to be kumbaya on every single issue every single day. There are going to be very genuine, real, passionate disagreements between the parties. That's okay. It's how those are played out and how we come back together on the important stuff. The budget, tax reform healthcare, education, kids, that we can find that common ground and keep trying to move Kentucky forward. I think you see people want that, and I think the Bashir administration will strive for that as well. Well, you know, we at KYA cover just you sort of we're going down that road. We cover the waterfront when it comes to kids. Uh, We just released the 2019 Kids Count report. Uh, Very mixed for every positive. There was a negative. Uh, You know, economic well-being has improved. But yet we have over 200,000 kids living in poverty. Uh, In education, graduation rates have increased. That's great news. Uh, Proficiency in primary school reading continue to lags behind the nation and really historical trends. So there's a yin and yang about kids count. There's a yin and yang about growing up as a kid in Kentucky. Uh, And we know there are thousands of issues that confront kids and families. I'm, I'm curious going into this session if there are not a dozen, but one or two that you think are primary. When, when you're sitting as Senator McGarvey, uh, who is regarded as sort of that guardian for kids, uh, what are the two or three issues that you're most interested in seeing move along during the 2020 session? Well, I'll start with number one, and then we'll see if there is a two and a three. Okay. You know, one of my predecessors who, who 
sat in my seat and represented a large part of my district was David Karam. Mm -hmm. And he often says the budget is the ultimate policy document in Kentucky. This is a budget session. We do our budget every two years, as you know. And so this is it. We can talk about our values. We can talk about how much we love our kids and what we want to do for them. If we don't put the necessary funding behind it, the rest is just talking points. So this session, what, what my number one priority, that's the budget. Let's fund the things that matter for these kids. We're talking about pre-K. We're talking about full-day kindergarten. We're talking about the education opportunities. We're talking about getting some more money into the foster care system, into the, the systems that take care of these kids. We're talking about kids. We can have debates over how do we treat adults and what are adults' roles in society. But for so many of these kids, and you see them, Terry, little kids, young kids, they're not making a choice to live in poverty. They're not making a choice which school they attend. They're not making a choice how their outcomes start at a young age. And you know what? So many of the problems in Kentucky aren't quick fixes. They are generational fixes. Amen. Amen. And if we are not having good pre-K or child care available to kids, if we're not having good K-12 through education available for kids, we're not going to get what we need later. So in a sense, that's why education to me is so important. The budget's so important because education, while it shows up on a budget, it's an investment. And I think too many people view it as a cost. If we invest in these kids later, we will get benefits from them later on. Because if we don't invest in them now, too often we will pay for them later. And one of the sobering statistics that I hear in Frankfurt all the time is that we use third grade reading scores to help predict future prison population in Kentucky. Exactly right. I mean, what a sad thing. You know, I've got eight-year-old twins at home um, who will be in third grade next year. To think that at third grade, we know if we haven't gotten to you by that point, we've lost you down the road is a sad thing, and we've got to do better about it. Okay, great, great answer. I especially appreciate your emphasis that so many of these issues are not one-offs. They're not one session. They're, they're long-term, and they, they require that. Well, you can't talk about the budget without talking about the other side, which is revenue. You've been pretty upfront, and in, in some ways that's kind of your headline issue, is talking about different ways to attack the revenue deficit. So uh, I'm going to sort of give you that open-ended question. If, if Morgan McGarvey had that magic wand, uh, what do we do uh, on the revenue question in Kentucky? Well, I think it's good, too, that you're starting to see agreement on the first issue, and that is whether there is a revenue deficit. For a long time, we've had people in Frankfurt say, oh, it's not that bad. Here's the bottom line. There is not enough money to meet the current needs and obligations of Kentucky state government, period. Now, and that's pensions, kids, emergency services across the board, right? That's exactly right. I mean, we're, we're talking everything from potholes to pensions and everything in between. The current needs as state government exists today. There are only two ways to fix that. You can make cuts or you can get revenue. Now, when I talk about cuts, I'm not talking about waste, fraud, and abuse or some campaign promise. You know, let's get rid of an administrator here or there and we'll save the Kentucky budget. No, these are serious cuts. When we talk about revenue, it's not just sports gaming, which while although we should do sports gaming and it produces a couple million dollars a year, 
in an $11 billion annual budget, that's not going not to get the save job the day, done is it? for what yeah. we need. Yeah. And so we've got that problem. We have only two solutions to it. What I don't think people talk about enough is that both of those solutions, serious cuts or raising revenue, are oftentimes equally difficult votes for legislators. Because when you're not talking about waste, fraud, and abuse, mm-hmm. when you're talking about wholesale cutting of real services that impact people's lives, it's a difficult vote for a lot of legislators in Kentucky. So I think if it were up to me, we would be looking at revenue. The first thing we need to do is we need to get expanded gaming. We need to do it as a constitutional amendment. We need to put it out there and say, do you want to collect money from expanded gaming, yes or no? Is that the cure? No, it's not. But we've almost literally and figuratively missed the boat on this. It's uh, We have casino gaming all across uh, our borders. In fact, right in the middle of my district, before you get to Douglas Boulevard on Bardstown Road, there is a billboard right now saying, come to Indiana and yeah. wager on college sports. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's going on. We have it here. We're, we're getting a lot of the, the problems from it. We're not getting the benefits. If we get it, then we'll do the, the legislation that enables where we have expanded gaming and, and, and that sort of thing. So we need to do expanded gaming. Um, we have to, though, if we want a long-term solution, we have to take a deep dive finally into Kentucky's tax code. There have been multiple governors across the parties who have put together the Blue Ribbon Commissions. We have how many studies now? Task collect- courses, yeah. studies, commissions. Yeah. We have how, and how many of them are collecting dust on a shelf somewhere in Frankfurt? Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, that's where I think having a Democratic governor and a Republican legislature gives us an opportunity. If they can come together on a tax modernization scheme, protects people, protects business, but also get some revenue into state government, then I think we can have more success long-term in Kentucky. I want to come back to expanded gaming in just a second, but what you were just describing is the the trajectory for that tax reform – is it moving to more of a consumption-based? Is it a, a plethora of things, looking at individual tax breaks? You see it as a, a myriad of initiatives versus a single sort of silver bullet? Well, as I said, the first thing you have to do is get consensus on a need, right? And I think that consensus is developing. I won't call anybody out by name, but I, was, uh, I came here today from making a speech to a group of leaders in Kentucky with a member of majority leadership. And that member of majority leadership acknowledged, yes, we either have to do big, massive cuts to state government or produce additional revenue. Those are the two options. And it made it sound to me like like that individual is, is advocating for some additional revenue. That's the first thing. We have to get consensus. Once that consensus is achieved, this is where it takes leadership of coming together and getting input from both sides. You're going to have to get buy-in from both parties to pass a successful revenue bill in Kentucky. That's the way that that ultimately big policy is successful is when you get that buy-in from both parties. So I don't think you go into it necessarily saying, you know, this particular little thing is here and this little particular thing is there. I think you have to be guided by principles. You know, for me, those principles are, number one, it can't be regressive. Too much of our tax burden is already put on our poor, our working class, our working poor we don't need to put more of our revenue burden on the backs of those people who can least afford it, right, number one. Number two, it can't be anti-business. You know, we all know in Kentucky when we're located with so many uh, seven states surround our borders, and it's too easy. Other, other places There's for other them to places go. Yeah. to go. Um, we can't drive business away from Kentucky. 
And so those are you know two big principles that sometimes are competing, mm-hmm. right? But we've got to get into the room and say, we agree that we need some additional revenue in Kentucky. Here's the most responsible way to grow the economy in Kentucky. Right. Well, and as, as you know, we at KYA are also big on the idea of win-win-wins when right. it comes to this. You take a state-earned income refund, uh, a state EITC. We know that's great for those families. We know that that money goes into local economies and actually generates budget uh, revenue rather than diluting. I think the thing I'm that a, I would I, also want to... I'm a big fan of that. Just I mean, So, you know, the Senate can't pass tax bills. The House has to do it. But right. even just as a protest to show how much I think we need an earned income tax credit, I filed it as a standalone yeah. nope. bill in the Senate. It, and yeah. even got a Republican co-sponsor. It couldn't go anywhere, but just to send that signal, yes, we need – it's earned income. Right. Let's get it done. A- absolutely. Well, and I, I think the listeners, I, I would just want to highlight something you said, which is so important. If, in fact, uh, Republicans and Democrats, urban and rural leaders have come together and said, we do need new revenue, that may not have grabbed a headline, but that's really significant because, as you mentioned, for so long – that in and of itself was divisive. Uh, I, I want to come back, knowing that you are an advocate of expanded gaming. Uh, I'm, I'm interested in your perspective on sources of opposition. My sense is some of those are economic. People have done numbers and they don't think it's enough. Some are ethical, moral, which is, in my mind, a, a whole different deal. But can you kind of describe the the pro, the anti, uh, what's what's going on? What, what are going to be the dynamics of that in Frankfurt? Sure. First, I'll just start where I am personally on it. Personally, I wish gaming only existed in New Orleans and Las Vegas. It doesn't. And so I'm not trying to have it both ways. I want it here. I'm for it. We've got it everywhere else. Um, the economic argument has always been hollow to me. And people saying, oh, it's only going to generate $100 million of revenue every year. You start it putting a couple of couple of zeros into our budget makes a big difference. The, the estimates that we've seen put it more around $250 million a year. You know, that actually can, is it the cure? No. Does it make a difference? Absolutely. Apply that to kinship care and you got something going. Even put it on our, our previous pension obligations. It frees up more money in the general fund. Kinship care, universal pre-K has been scored at having a $300 million a year price tag. You basically pay for childcare across the state for quality educational childcare, um, you know, so there's so much we could do with that. Let's not say it doesn't produce enough revenue, because if you say that enough times, you're not going to get any yeah. revenue. It's multiplicative. Um, but you said something that I think is maybe the at the more of the core of this debate. This is becoming less and less a Democrat Republican issue in Frankfurt, and is becoming increasingly an urban rural issue in Frankfurt. I'm not trying to. Believe me, I just don't know off the top of my head, so I'm not trying to say everyone in Jefferson County is for it, but I don't know of a legislator from Jefferson County or the northern Kentucky counties who are against expanded gaming. I'm not saying there isn't one, but I don't know of one. That gives you a little bit of an example there of that urban-rural dichotomy, particularly when you look at northern Kentucky. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think uh, that urban-rural issue I hope I'm wrong, but I worry a lot that that's percolating on not just gaming, but that that's become, as you mentioned, maybe more pervasive and more profound than just Democrat, Republican, conservative, liberal. Do you see that in in other issues? Sure. I think we saw it in this last election, Um, you know, where the votes for the Democratic 
winner, where the votes for Governor Bashir were versus where the votes for Matt Bevin were. Um, I mean, you saw a different voting pattern in those areas. So it's going to be an issue. Um, I hope that in some ways the issue goes away over time. You know, as I tell people a lot of times, you know, what do people my age in Louisville call older people from outside of Jefferson County? The answer is mom and dad. <laughs> yeah. Right? yeah. So many uh, of my friends, or even, you know, my, my dad never lived in Louisville till after he married mom. Um, so many of people my age in Louisville have parents who are not from Louisville, hmm. have families who great, are not from Louisville. Great point. And I hope that as that happens, uh, you see more people coming into Louisville. In fact, um, he wouldn't mind me saying this. He's no longer in the Senate, but one of my former colleagues, Joe Bowen mm-hmm. uh, from sure. Owensboro, I ran into him in Louisville one day. He was walking to his car down the street, and I was walking to lunch. I said, Joe, let me buy you lunch. What are you doing here? Well, his grandkids live here. Uh-huh. Yeah. Right? So that's a so, great connection from that Owensboro to, to Louisville, absolutely. Let me, let me ask you, we always try to uh, uh, embolden our listeners to take action. Mm-hmm. So we want them there January 23rd for Children's Advocacy Day. But we want them reaching out to legislators. So using yourself as an example— uh, how does a constituent, how does a concerned citizen from anywhere uh, get an issue on Morgan McGarvey's radar, and what could they take away from your own experience and apply to their own state senator or state representative? Great question. I'm so glad you asked it. First of all, everyone should call or write their legislator if they have a concern. Please do not assume someone else is doing that. You want your voice heard, then you've got to say something. Um, I'll give you my perspective on the best way to contact a legislator, because I think it's important for people to know how we receive information. Mm-hmm. As you know, Terry, most of the people in Frankfurt, they don't hire or fire their own staff, and they share a staff person with multiple legislators. So the, the basic ways to get a hold of us are you can email us, you can call us, you can meet with us in person, right? When you call Frankfurt, you're almost never going to get a, a legislator on the phone. There's not even a direct line to my office. There's no bat right. phone. There's no way to get you leave a message. But if you leave a message, the nice people take down whatever you say, and we get them. We used to get them on green, green slips sheets. Green sheets, the famous right? green sheets, green, yes. Some people still do. Although I get mine in an Excel spreadsheet. What they do is they categorize them by bill number. What that does is very quickly it shows, oh, my gosh. You know, I had 50 people call about this issue, and they're all supporting it. Well, 50 people call, that's a huge mm-hmm. number, and it gets it on your radar. But how do you get to 50? One plus one plus right. one plus right. one plus one. And you've got to be one of those people who calls. So I view a phone call as what I call a quantity message. You're just letting, you're letting your representative know you're in favor of an issue. You want it to be brought forward. Get it done, right? That's what you're saying. In an email, you can do a quantity message with a form email or that sort of thing. You can also do a quality message where you can succinctly tell a personal story or say something. What the advantage of that is it gives the legislator, it gives us an ability to reach back out to you. You know, it's almost impossible to return every call we get every day. Right. Uh, But if you email, it's a lot easier because I could be sitting on my couch holding a a kid uh, at, Mm -hmm. at, you know, 1130 at night and responding to an email. And so, you know, that kind of thing is is a great way. Email is a great way to get hold of us. Typically... Most of us check our own email. And then, of course, if 90% of life is showing up, 98% of your advocacy is showing up. Never hesitate to call and schedule a meeting with your legislator. If it's during session, it might be short. But, you know, all of us are in our communities. We're sitting here in Louisville today, Mm -hmm. uh, and I'm going to the office after I leave here. You know, call and set up a meeting with us even when we're not in session. It's a great way to get to know somebody and to, I mean, 
to converse with them to ex- explain your your desires. Ter- terrific tutorial, and and listeners, I hope what you heard uh, Senator McGarvey say is that your voice does count. You know, we just dropped the 2020 blueprint for Kentucky's children listeners. So what I hear Senator McGarvey saying is, go to that site, look at that video, look at those fact sheets, decide what issue is grabbing your heart, and reach out today to your state senator and your state representative. As we're wrapping up here, uh, Senator, I always like to give our guests sort of the final word, uh, so sort of an invitation to the benediction. Uh, As we're sitting here, you're thinking about kids, you're thinking about 2020, final reflection, final word for our listeners. I'll go back to something you said. Um, Politics right now might be as divisive as we've ever seen it. Um, I think that's probably true. And I think it's unfortunate. Not that we have disagreements. You can disagree strongly on the best way to operate government. But you can do it in a way that is constructive rather than destructive. And ultimately, the people who are most responsible for that are us, the voters. And we can't tolerate that type of rhetoric from our elected officials. So not only can you call and influence policies, you've got to do that. Become involved as voters. But demand better. Demand a better tone. I think we, we sent a signal this past election. I hope that carries forward in Kentucky and that we can, get the, we can get the ship moving in the right direction again. Well, Senator, thanks again for being here. We appreciate it so much. And uh, again, to reiterate, we so appreciate your persistent and consistent support of what we at KYA stand for. We want Kentucky to be the best place in America to be young, and you're an important part of that. Again, listeners, you can find resources on the Blueprint for Kentucky's Children's Priorities including fact sheets on each item at KentuckyYouth.org. As a reminder, we are looking for your registration for Children's Advocacy Day at the Capitol coming up on January 23rd. This is Terry Brooks, and you've been listening to Kentucky Senator Morgan McGarvey on Making Kids Count. Thank you for listening to the Making Kids Count podcast with Terry Brooks. For more information and to listen to more episodes, visit kyyouth.org slash podcast. Kentucky Youth Advocates is a nonpartisan, nonprofit organization who doesn't accept government money so that we can remain truly independent. To support this podcast and our mission as the independent voice for Kentucky kids, please consider making a gift at kyyouth.org slash donate.